Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. I'd like to thank Indeed for sponsoring this episode of the Peter Schiff Show podcast. And right now, small businesses have to be more efficient than ever, especially given all the new regulations they're likely to have to comply with in a Biden administration. Therefore, every hire is going to be critical. Indeed is the number one job site in the world. And right now, you can get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Peter. Terms and conditions apply, and the offer is only valid through December 30th. Well, one thing that we now know for sure, and that's that the polls were horribly wrong. They were as wrong this time as they were in 2016. In fact, they may have even been more wrong. Now, as of now... uh, Trump did lose the election, but just barely. I mean, he lost the popular vote by about 3 million votes, but that was to be expected. But was not expected by the polls was how close the race was in how many of these swing states. In fact, many of the swing states that the president was supposed to lose, he ended up winning. And as of right now, he trails uh, Vice President Biden or future President Biden, by, I think, two electoral votes. Joe Biden barely has the 270 votes necessary to win. And I think Donald Trump has already declared that he suspects fraud. He is probably ordering recounts in several of these very close states. And so the outcome of the election is somewhat in jeopardy, Although I doubt that the challenge will succeed, and it does look very likely that as I have feared from the beginning, that Joe Biden will be the next president of the United States. But the Republicans not only managed to maintain control of the U.S. Senate, which it certainly looks like they will do. I think there are still some races that have not been called Uh, But the Democrats will not be able to uh, uh, regain 
control of the Senate. But the Republicans also picked up some seats in the House. So rather than a blue wave, there, there wasn't even a splash. Joe Biden barely squeaked in with the narrowest of margins, assuming that the, uh, the challenges don't hold up. And as I uh, speculated on this podcast, I thought that there would be a number of people who would vote Biden for president, but then would vote Republican in Congress, either for the House or the Senate, to be a check on Biden. Because a lot of people who were voting for Biden were not voting for Biden at all. They were voting against Trump. And so because they didn't actually like Biden, they wanted to have somebody pushing back on the Biden agenda. So they voted Biden for president to remove Trump, but then they voted for Republicans, either for the Senate or the House, to restrain Biden uh, from doing bad things. And so that happened. Now, of course, I think before the election actually happened, Wall Street had already handicapped this precise outcome as being the worst case for the market and the economy because they saw a Republican Senate as an impediment to stimulus, right? And anything that would slow down the stimulus juggernaut was going to be bad news, certainly for the market, uh, which is a one-trick pony, and that trick being uh, stimulus. But I don't think that that will be the case. Now, I agree that the Republicans will show a little bit more backbone now that Biden will be president than they did or they would have if Trump was president, but not much. I mean, I think that the stimulus package, and again, stimulus is in quotes, it's not a good way to describe it, but that's how the media describes it. Uh, But let's just call it the government spending package, not to be confused with, with stimulus, but the package will be there. I mean, the Republicans are not gonna stop the aid. Right? Everybody agrees, uh, unfortunately, that people need help and nobody wants to deny that help. But I do believe that with the Republicans in control of the Senate, that the size of the spending plan will be somewhat smaller than otherwise would have been the case had the Republicans not maintained control of the Senate. I don't think that Republicans are going to stop the tax hikes. I do think they will mitigate the size of the tax hikes. So I do think that corporations and upper income taxpayers are going to be hit with higher taxes. The blow just may not be as bad as it would have been had the Democrats taken control of the Senate. But I don't think that the economy is going to be spared either increases in government spending or higher taxes. Uh, There are plenty of very liberal Republicans, you know, rhino Republicans, who will cooperate and, and, and side with the Democrats and Biden. And they will, you know, defect to the extent that there is Republican opposition to increases in government spending and, and larger deficits. This will especially be true if the U.S. economy is in recession, which I expect it to be. And of course, when there is a recession, nobody wants to stand in the way of aid, of stimulus. And so I don't think the Republicans in the U.S. Senate will do that. Yes, they will 
uh, mitigate somewhat the size of the stimulus, but it will nonetheless act as an economic sedative. And I do not believe that it will provide the type of support to the stock market that similar stimulus has provided in the past, because I do believe we are going to overdose on that stimulus and the fatality is going to be in the U.S. dollar. And then, of course, by extension, the entire U.S. economy that rests upon the foundation of an overvalued dollar. But the markets, nonetheless, ended up celebrating uh, the election. We had a strong rally, uh, particularly in the, the NASDAQ. That was the leader led higher by the tech names and the stay-at-home names. I think because uh, the idea there is that Biden is more likely to shut down the economy again due to COVID. And of course, that benefits uh, companies uh, that make money when people are stuck at home. And so those were some of the strongest stocks today. Although the biggest gains uh, were in companies uh, like Uber and Lyft. Uber shares up 14.5% and Lyft shares were lifted by about 11.5%. All of this was the result of a vote in California because California went to the ballot and they had an initiative to actually override their own legislatures to allow Uber and Lyft to classify drivers as independent contractors. And the drivers wanted to be independent contractors. That was one of the reasons that the measure had so much support is the very people who the legislation was supposed to help are the ones that opposed it. And in fact, I bet that most people who have been forced to be counted as employees, a lot of these people would prefer to be independent contractors. It's unfortunate that the ballot measure wasn't broader in scope. It was limited to just Uber and Lyft. But there are a lot of other people who would prefer to have independent contractor status, but who have been prevented from doing so by California law. And so they should have liberalized the law for everybody, not simply had it narrowly focused on two companies. Uh, but that was done specifically to undo the damage that was being done to those companies by that uh, legislation. But I think in, in general, there was a relief rally in the market that the election was over. And to some extent, the uncertainty was diminished, even though there are going to be some challenges. Uh, I think the markets are content with the outcome. And I think that despite the concern about a lack of stimulus, should the Republicans gain the Senate, I think the markets are pretty sure that that stimulus is coming. And again, I think they're also miscalculating if they believe that the Republicans controlling the Senate means that corporate tax hikes are not going to happen. They are going to happen. They just may not be as significant. And the implementation may be delayed somewhat due to the weakness in the economy. The same may be true uh, with the tax hikes on upper income Americans, but they are coming, right? They're, because Biden is going to be for them. Uh, the House is going to be for them. And so it's going to happen. The Republicans, again, may diminish somewhat the degree to which taxes go up, but taxes are going to go up. But the bigger problem is that spending is going to go up much more than taxes, which means the deficits are going to be much larger, which means the monetary stimulus supplied to finance those deficits, monetize those deficits, 
are going to be much larger. And that means the real economic damage will be much greater and the losses far more severe for people who are holding U.S. dollar-denominated assets, particularly bonds, bonds more so uh, than equities. And not all equities rose today. And the stock market, by the way, did sell off towards the end of the day, even though the Dow was up about 367 points. I think it was up about 750 points near its highs. The Nasdaq managed to you know, maintain most of its gains. It was up about 3.85%. I think at its highs, it was up about 5%. But not all of the averages uh, had big gains. The Russell 2000 was barely positive. It was up just a tick or so, a 0.05%. And in fact, uh, it spent some of the day in the negative. It did rally back in the last few minutes of trading uh, to manage to finish with a gain. But where you saw the real weakness was in the regional banks. Look at that index. I've spoken about it before. KRE is the symbol. That index was down better than 7%. That is significant weakness on the part of banks. And that indicates problems in the economy because that means problems for the banks because it means loans that have been extended may not be repaid. In fact, that's why you saw a lack of strength in the Russell 2000. These are small U.S. companies that are the most susceptible and the most vulnerable to problems in the U.S. economy, which are going to get worse under Biden. And again, even if the Republicans in the Senate are able to, you know, slow down the tax hikes or mitigate the tax hikes, Biden is still going to be able to impose significant new regulatory burdens on corporate America. Remember, a lot of the deregulation that happened under the Trump administration happened by executive order. This wasn't deregulation that went through Congress. These were things that the president was able to do on his own as president. Well, anything that Trump can do as president, Biden can undo as president. So if you believe that deregulation under Trump benefited the economy and the stock market, re-regulation under Biden should eliminate those benefits. And in fact, Biden doesn't have to simply stop at reversing the deregulation of Trump. He could pile on additional regulations all by himself without having to get that through Congress. So I think the regulatory landscape, right, that burden is going to be significantly higher in the future than it has been in the past. And these are costs that will have to be borne uh, by U.S. companies and they will take their toll on U.S. workers, uh, more of which will find themselves to be unemployed. And of course, the unemployment is going to be exacerbated by the fact that one of the first things that is likely to pass through uh, the new Congress and get signed by the president is a significant increase in the minimum wage. And there are a number of Republicans who are already on record in the U.S. Senate of supporting an increase in the minimum wage. So now that we have Biden, who is anxious to sign such an increase, it's coming. And that is going to complicate uh, the problems for a lot of people who are trying to get jobs or get their first jobs. But of course, the government is going to offer a lot of people a better deal rather than having to work for a minimum wage 
They could just kick back and live on some basic income or whatever type of stimulus program their Democrats have in mind to continue the, uh, the extended benefits that have already been delivered as a result of COVID. So they're going to be making it harder for people to get jobs by pricing them out of the market with an increase in minimum wage. And then they're going to further incentivize them not to even want those jobs uh, by giving them larger checks in stimulus money or, uh, or benefits than what they could legally earn anyway. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Some of the other notable movers in the market. We saw the pharmaceutical stocks taking some big moves today. Uh, I suppose that they look at Biden as a positive uh, for pharmaceutical companies. I think Trump had been uh, talking a lot about trying to put pressure on big pharma to lower prices. I think a lot of money would be seen, the Democrats you know, funneling a lot of money into medical spending, healthcare spending, to the benefit of the big uh, drug companies who are able to uh, you know, earn that spending, selling their, their, their products. Also, the Chinese names. They had big moves today. I think the removal of Trump uh, is seen as good news for China. That will be a diminishment in the trade war, in all of the anti-China rhetoric. Uh, So the Chinese names were up big today, as was the Chinese yuan. Uh, That currency made a bit of a move today. The dollar did not have a substantial move. It was a little bit lower on the day, but not substantially so. Gold was in the red most of the day, but by the end of the day, it managed to regain most of those losses, finished down about 5 or $6, still above 1900 I think as I'm recording this, it's around 1902, 1903. You know, gold really should have had a much bigger move up. I mean, gold is what people should be buying as a result of this election. I mean, they should be buying gold regardless of the outcome of the election, because the one thing that's certain is that money is going to be printed. There's going to be a lot of inflation in the future, even more so than what we had in the past. And that means a lot more money is going to go into gold. In fact, the gold mining stocks were among the only losers on the day. Um, The declines weren't that big, but a lot of these stocks were down one or 2% on the day. Uh, So on a relative basis, uh, they performed particularly bad. Uh, but I do believe that that is going to reverse almost almost immediately. I expect to see these stocks rallying. We did see a lot of rallies in other stocks. I think a lot of the international value-oriented stocks also rose today, and I think that trend is going to continue. The question is, how much longer can the delusion uh, that the outcome of this election is somehow positive for an already substantially overvalued stock market, that is the question. I mean, from my perspective, I am looking for the market to sell off. It should have sold off already. We had a bit of a sell-off the week before the election, so now we had a relief rally. I have a feeling that a lot of the rally today was short covering, and so I don't think that it would have legs. I think that as um, reality begins to set in, 
on what a Biden administration is likely to look like and how weak the economy was going to be anyway. And now it's going to be even weaker and how we're going to have to deal with the problems of a soaring deficit and then a weakening dollar. I think this is going to take a toll on stocks and they're going to head lower. I think the sell-off that we saw at the end of the day is more of a, a look into what's likely to happen. Not the big rally that started the day, but the momentum that was lost as the day came to a close. I think we'll see some continuation of, um, of that weakness uh, later, later in the week, maybe even as soon as tomorrow. You know, another sector that you might have expected to benefit were the pot stocks. There had been a lot of talk uh, that these cannabis companies would benefit from a Biden victory. Instead, they got smoked today. I mean, you know, these stocks saw big declines, not what people were expecting. Now, maybe the Republicans maintaining control of the Senate has put legalization in jeopardy if they think that the Republicans in the Senate will somehow block uh, that from happening. Another sector that didn't benefit at all today was the energy stocks. Those stocks were relatively flat to down on the day, even though oil itself had a strong day, up about a dollar and a half, getting close to $40 a barrel again. At some point, we're going to bust through uh, that level decisively and move much higher. Now, we did get a nice rebound in these oil stocks over the last several days, so maybe a little bit of a profit-taking on today, but I do expect that sector to be one of the beneficiaries. And of course, I do think that President Biden is going to be far less friendly to the domestic oil industry than Donald Trump. And to the extent that Biden is able to further disrupt the domestic production in the United States, then the result of that is going to help to push oil prices even higher, which are going to be rising anyway once we really start to see significant weakness in the U.S. dollar that will work to dramatically increase demand for oil overseas. Now, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I did do a live podcast. It wasn't put on the shift radio but it was broadcast live on my YouTube channel. And I ended up talking for four hours about the election as the returns were coming in. And of course, there was no uh, winner. I thought I was going to be able to discuss it last night, but I ended up after four hours getting too tired and I realized that we weren't going to know who won the election because it was far closer than had been expected. It was far closer than the election in 2016. And, And so... If you haven't already listened to that, if you're you know just listening to this on shiftradio.com, go to my YouTube channel, The Shift Report, and you know listen to it. You don't have to listen to the entire four hours. I mean, you can if you want to, uh, but you can certainly you know go through it and listen to the questions because I did take a lot of questions. That was basically what I was doing as I was watching the results. I was answering questions that were being asked real time by the people who were listening live as I was streaming on YouTube. Uh, So you can go ahead and and, and go through that now. And maybe there are some questions that uh, you've been, you know, wanting to have answered. And now they've they've been asked and answered. And so they're there. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and it gets them fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there's no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. 
like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hires you need, just like they already have for over 3 million businesses. And right now, Indeed is offering my listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more qualified candidates will see your ad and they'll reply fast. Try Indeed now with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com Peter. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com Peter. Terms and conditions apply. Offer only valid through December 30th. Now, even though this election ended up being far closer than a lot of people believed it would have been. And I know there were a lot of people, too, that were expecting Trump to win. I mean, I had been getting emails from people constantly pointing out that I was underestimating the strength of of Trump's support and that the polls were wrong. And to a degree, those emails were correct. I mean, I acknowledge that the polls were wrong because the polls showed Um, Trump losing uh, by a far greater margin than he looks like he lost by. So to to that extent, yes, the polls did underestimate the degree of support that Trump had. But I think other Trump supporters, a lot of people in my audience, were overestimating the amount of support that Trump had. Uh, Again, he did not win the popular vote just like he did not win the popular vote in 2016. In 2016, he squeaked into the office because he narrowly won a lot of the swing states. Well, this year, he narrowly lost some of those swing states. And that's really the difference between 2016 and now was the narrow races went for Trump in 2016 and they broke against him in 2020. And and that's because there was no significant improvement in the U.S. economy during the Trump presidency. I mean, that was one of the most frustrating parts about it was because during the entirety of this presidency, Donald Trump continued to take credit for victories that he did not win. And many of his supporters and many other Republicans joined in, in the false credit, in congratulating the president for this fantastic job that he had done, for the booming economy, the unprecedented economic prosperity, the fact that he supposedly accomplished more in the years that he had been office than any president in in history, Uh, you know. And and all this was just a bunch of nonsense. I mean, had Donald Trump's presidency been as successful as everybody pretended it was, he would have been reelected. The fact that the public did not reelect him provides more proof that this was more form over substance, that it was all a big show. It was all about repeating a lie often enough and hoping that it would be believed. Now, I know some people probably ended up believing it, but a lot of people who were living in reality were not willing to accept the fantasy that was created by Trump and some of the other Republicans of this new economic utopia that the president has somehow created that he was elected to make America great again, and he actually succeeded. In fact, before COVID, Trump had already planned his re-election campaign. He had tweaked his slogan from make America great again to keep America great again, basically 
claiming that he had already succeeded in his original mission, that he was elected to make America great again, and now America was great again, simply because he was elected. And now we needed to reelect him to keep America great again, even though America was no greater as a result of Trump than it was prior to Trump. The only thing that was greater was the size of the debt, right? We printed more money. We went deeper into debt. We had bigger bubbles. That's where all the greatness was. But Trump never succeeded in his primary goal, right? To resurrect America's industrial might, to win on trade and shrink the trade deficit, to pay down the national debt. All of the things that Trump promised to deliver, he failed to deliver. He couldn't uh, live up to those promises, despite the fact that he pretended that he did, and he asked voters to reelect him based on how well he kept his promises. Well, they didn't reelect him because he didn't keep his promises. The problem is a lot of people believed he did or deluded themselves into believing that he did. And I think the biggest problem of that administration is the foundation that it has laid for the Biden administration. And the fact that Trump was such a big advocate of bigger government and bigger deficits and stimulus, it's going to be that much more difficult for Republicans to try to oppose a similar agenda when Biden is proposing it. You know, one of the things that was frustrating about listening to the coverage today, I was watching on CNBC and I don't remember who this guy was. Uh, But he was describing the election and he said, you know, it was very polarizing. He said it was an election between the extreme left and the extreme right. And he said that, you know, if we ever needed a third party, now was the time because we needed somebody in the middle. Right. Because that's where a lot of Americans are. And we had these extreme candidates uh, at either ends of the spectrum. And it would have been nice to have had a third option where somebody was in the center. And this was such a laughable uh, analogy because this was not a battle of extremes. Donald Trump is not the far right as he is being portrayed. Donald Trump is left of center. He is like a Rockefeller Republican. He is a big government Republican. He wants more government, more government spending. He wants protectionism, right? He wants tariffs. That's bigger government. Right. That's not small government when you want to impose tariffs. He doesn't want to cut any government spending. He didn't want to cut any entitlements. In fact, he wants to add a brand new entitlement or support a brand new entitlement in Obamacare. He just wants to pretend he doesn't like Obamacare, except he likes the main uh, promise of Obamacare. And that is that sick people can buy insurance at the same rate as healthy people. That is not a far right Uh, proposal. That is socialized medicine. That is basically saying that people shouldn't be responsible for their own health care. People shouldn't have to buy health insurance when they're healthy. They can wait until they're sick and then buy it at the same price. The only way to do something like that is through a massive government program. So Donald Trump has advocated big government. He has delivered big government. He hasn't cut any spending. He hasn't proposed any spending cuts. Uh, And he has advocated that the Federal Reserve monetize 
the deficits that have resulted from his increases in government spending. He is a big proponent of cheap money, of inflation, of money printing. So how is that an example of the far right? It's not even close. The problem with this election is that Americans had to choose between somebody who is left of center and somebody who is even further to the left of center. And of course, there actually was a third party. I mean, when you have these guys you know, saying they wish there was a third party, there is a third party. I mean, the libertarian candidate was on the ballot in all 50 states. So to say you wish you had a third alternative when there already is a third alternative. Now, maybe you can say you wish you had a different uh, third alternative, but there was one. And Joe Jorgensen, of course, would represent the extreme uh, right, right? She wants limited government. She really is the opposite of Joe Biden. Donald Trump is not the opposite of Biden. He's a lot closer to Biden than he would be to Joe Jorgensen, right? Today, Republicans have far more in common with Democrats than they do with libertarians. Once upon a time, there wasn't nearly as much daylight between the libertarians and the Republicans. I mean, maybe they disagreed on some of the social issues. That's where you found it, where the Republicans wanted the government to have a more active role uh, in, in, in the social issues, whereas the libertarians wanted uh, consistent government non-intervention. They wanted the government to leave you alone uh, in your economic affairs, and they wanted the government to leave you alone in your personal affairs, uh, you know, such as whether or not you wanted to uh, use drugs or whether or not you wanted to, uh, uh, you know, use, uh, you know, participate in prostitution or other victimless crimes, uh, gay marriage, a lot of things that the Republican Party at one time was against, the Libertarian Party uh, was in favor of. But at least on economic issues, there was a lot of similarity between Republicans and Libertarians. And that has changed because the, the Republicans now want the government to be far more active in the economy, to take a much greater role there. They have continued to move left and the Libertarian Party has stayed in the same place. Now, as the Republican Party has moved left, so has the Democratic Party. And the, the question that I, I'm not even sure what the answer is, is which party is driving the movement? Is it that the Republicans are moving left and pushing the Democrats further to the left in order to maintain their turf and to compete with the Republicans? Or are the Democrats pulling the Republicans to the left? Are they moving to the left? And are the Republicans being forced to go to the left to, to compete with the Democrats? I'm not really sure which is the, the engine and which is the caboose. But what I am sure of is that is the direction that the train is moving. We're moving to the left. And that is the problem. That is what this guy should have been criticizing, the lack of a real choice, having to choose uh, between the lesser of two evils because if you wanted smaller government, if you wanted cuts to government spending, you had no candidate other than Joe Jorgensen who had no chance of winning, right? I mean, they get, you know, 1% of the vote, you know, the libertarians, if that. So if you wanted your vote to theoretically count, if you wanted to vote for one of the candidates who had a chance of winning and you wanted small government, you wanted cuts in government spending, I mean, you could vote for Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump was not going to deliver that. It's just that Donald Trump would have delivered a smaller increase in government than Biden. But if you want less government and you're forced to choose between two candidates who want more government, 
You don't have a choice. You have no candidate to vote for. Yet this guy was saying what we needed was somebody in the middle, somebody in between Trump and Biden. I mean, you couldn't even recognize the difference. I mean, there's hardly any room to get between Trump and Biden, right? The divide is so narrow. I mean, who would even fit in there? That's not what we needed. We needed a real candidate way to the right of Trump, right? Somebody like Jorgensen, but that the media paid attention to. I mean, she should have been in the debates, right? People should have realized that there was a viable alternative that had the potential to be elected because she was on the ballot in all 50 states. You know, the Commission on Presidential Debates, they always like to set these unattainable criteria as for who they are going to include in their debate. But it seems to me that the criteria of getting on the ballot in all 50 states should be the only criteria necessary because that is a very difficult hurdle to overcome because of all the third parties that were uh, running, the libertarian candidate was the only one to actually get on the ballot in all 50 states. So that in and of itself shows you how difficult that is to do. And what the Commission on Presidential Debates always claims is that, well, you know, we just can't open up the debates because we'll have too many candidates on the stage. Well, three? How is three too many? I mean, when Ross Perot ran, they let him up there. You know, that was three. Meanwhile, the primary debates, they have 10 candidates on the stage at once. So how is three too many? To say that if we allow every candidate that gets on the ballot in all 50 states, it's going to be a free-for-all and it's somehow going to distract uh, from the integrity of the debates. I mean, think about that first debate. What an embarrassment that was. Do you think it would have been an even greater embarrassment if Joe Jorgensen was up on that stage too? I mean, maybe those two guys would have acted differently if they were in the presence of a woman. You know, maybe she would have been able to calm them down. I certainly think that she would have been able to uh, present a clear-cut contrast, not just to uh, Biden, but to Trump. Because both of these candidates would have been exposed as big government candidates, not free market, individual liberty, constitutional, sound money candidates, but people who believe in the power of the state and the power of big government and Keynesian economics. You know, she could have appealed uh, to people who really wanted a, a difference. And even if she wouldn't have won, even if she would have taken votes away from Trump, so what? Biden won anyway. So what's the big deal? But I think if we get a third party, and of course, I'm partial to the Libertarian Party, but if we start including the candidates in the debates, even if they lose, if people see that they were viable, I mean, maybe a Libertarian could get five or 10% of the vote if they got some of the media coverage, if they were included in the debate. And then that's a stepping stone because then the next time there's a Libertarian candidate, that candidate builds on the success, on the name recognition of the prior candidate. You know, the Democrats and the Republicans weren't always the two parties. There were other parties that were around before the Democrats and the Republicans came on the scene, right? The first Republican was Abraham Lincoln. He was the 16th president. So, I mean, what parties were around? There were other parties that were there. But ever since modern times, the Republicans and the Democratic Party have had a stranglehold 
on the political landscape and on the electorate. Why is that? We have to open this thing up. And again, another thing that I would really like to see, I think would dramatically improve the current situation, would be ranked voting, which they have in other countries. And I don't know what the argument is against ranked voting. And what ranked voting is, is where you vote for the candidates in order of your preference. So that if the candidate that you put as number one does not win, then your vote goes to number two. And the way that would work is, let's say we had a libertarian on the ballot, right? And you prefer Joe Jorgensen over either Biden or Trump, right? But you're afraid that if you vote for Joe Jorgensen, you're just throwing away your vote, right? Because she's not going to win. So you don't want to risk throwing away your vote by voting for Joe Jorgensen. So you end up picking the lesser of two evils. Well, if you could rank your choices, you can pick the lesser of two evils in second place. So you vote Joe Jorgensen, number one. Then you vote either Biden or Trump, number two. Then if Joe Jorgensen doesn't win, your vote isn't wasted because your vote now goes to your second choice. And now that second choice may win if that person is the second choice to enough people who voted Joe as the first choice. And you see what happens is if everybody believes that voting for Joe Jorgensen is a waste and so they don't vote for, she can never win. But once you put in the rank voting, then it's never a waste. And then you actually will have enough people that will vote for her. And then she could actually win. And, and you know, I think I experienced the same thing myself when I ran for uh, U.S. Senate. And this was a primary. And again, this is another example, too, of how bad the polls can be. When I ran for Senate in 2010, the last poll, like a week before the election, had me with like three or four percent of the vote. That's it. And of course, the media did a complete blackout of my campaign. So the other candidates got a lot of coverage. Even Rob Simmons, who had technically kind of dropped out, got a lot of coverage. I was still campaigning and I was getting none. And of course, Linda bought all kinds of media and she got all kinds of free coverage on top of that. And, and so, but I was really low in the polls. Then when they counted up the votes, I uh, got 23% of the vote. And then I actually came in second place out of the three of us in all of the districts other than the district where Rob Simmons had represented. So he, he beat me there, but I actually beat him in, in other places. But the polls showed me like barely showing up. The polls were more wrong there than they were, you know, about Trump in, in this election. I mean, for me to get 23% of the vote when I was polling at three or 4%, I mean, the polls weren't even close to being accurate. But here's the problem. A lot of people told me, you know, after they had voted that they really preferred me, that they would have voted for me if they thought I had a chance. But because I was so low in the polls, they, they didn't want to risk wasting their vote because they, they really, you know, wanted to vote against uh, um, Linda McMahon or against um, Rob Simmons. In fact, that's really what people were doing in, in the Senate. I mean, the only people who were voting for somebody were the people who were voting for me. 
I had a lot of legitimate support where people really wanted to vote for me. But when it came to Linda McMahon and Rob Simmons, it was really a vote against Linda or against Rob. So the way you voted against Rob was voting for Linda. And the way you voted against Linda was you voted for Rob. But you really weren't voting for anybody. You were just voting against the greater of the two evils. But I was a candidate there that a lot of people actually liked. But they were worried that if they voted for me, the candidate that they liked less would end up winning. Now, had we had ranked voting, all the people who wanted me to win but were afraid of wasting their vote because I was so low in the polls, they could have still voted for me and then they could have put their second choice and the vote would have gone to the second choice in the event that I did not win. And of course, the fact that the polls so underestimated my support, I think that had I been polling at 23%, and I clearly was at 23%, I didn't gain all those points in the last few days of the campaign, right? So I must have had that support but somehow it wasn't uh, being picked up in the polls. I think a lot of people, if they knew I was at 23% and not 3%, they might not have thought a vote for me was a waste. In a three-man race or two-man, one-woman, they might have thought that, hey, I could have pulled it out. And, you know, I might have won. Now, I might have lost in the general election to Dick Blumenthal, who knows? But the point is, the polls were wrong in my case, and the problem was, even though people wanted to vote for me, they didn't want to waste their vote, so they didn't vote for me. And I think a lot of people, too, who even knew that Joe Jorgensen was running, they didn't want to waste their vote because they knew she couldn't win, so they had to vote against the candidate they didn't like rather than for the candidate they did like. And if we can have ranked voting, uh, then that wouldn't happen. And I don't even know what the opposition... I mean, how can anybody really oppose that. I mean, the, the, the main opposition comes from the Democrats and the Republicans because they understand what ranked voting means. It means that their stranglehold on the political spectrum, their duopoly, because we basically have one party, right, the Republicans or the Demopublicans, if we had ranked uh, voting, it would blow that whole thing wide open, right? That would provide a window of opportunity for third parties to actually rise to power and represent some real competition for these political parties and represent real freedom. I mean, for people who claim that they believe in, in, in government or representative government, why not let the people speak? Why not give the people the ability to vote for their first choice, but then allow their vote to roll to their second choice in the event that their first choice uh, does not win? I, 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 don't, I, I can't even think of the logical argument against that. So I don't know what it takes to push for that. I mean, obviously, um, that could be adopted on a state-by-state -state level, right? This is not something that has to happen on a federal level, because I think each individual state decides how their ballots are going to run. So I think an individual state can, can elect on its own. And this is not something that I think the federal government should mandate. I think the states should allow this. Uh, on an individual basis. I mean, the only thing that the states can't do based on the Constitution is they can't limit their right to vote uh, based on sex, based on age. As long as you're 18, they have to let you vote. They can't have a poll tax or a property qualification anymore. But there's nothing that says they can't do ranked voting. I mean, wh where's the harm there? I see nothing but positives for the country and nothing but negatives for the Democrats and the Republicans. But that's good for the public. I mean, how could you not think competition 
in political parties is a good thing. And allowing other candidates, third parties, a greater ability to get elected and allow people to vote for the candidate they like best instead of against the candidate they dislike most by voting for their second choice rather than their first choice. 